0: Um, go to our text this morning. I'll ask you to turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We'll be reading in verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, 11. <clears throat> And I will ask you to stand with me as we read the word of God. <clears throat> Romans 13:11 This is God's holy and precious word. And that, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent; the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Amen. You may be seated, and we will go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we Thank you for your holy word and how we pray that you would minister your word to the need of our hearts. O God, we ask that by that unction that that was seen in the text that was read this morning, that unction of the Holy Spirit, and we have that unction from on high, that, Lord, you would enlarge our hearts this morning to hear and to receive your word from speaker to listener, O Lord, bless us, we pray. Father, it is not the words of a man that need to be heard this morning. It is the word of Almighty God. It is the word that was read and the word that is set before us in the text. And how we pray that you would give us grace to focus upon the text. And how we pray that you would give us grace to, to see that our God is speaking to us through the word of God this morning. And that you would be with this vessel and your people is our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 I'd like to speak on the subject of now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's my joy and privilege to wake up one of my one of my children. I'll just put it in general terms. Almost every morning, and when six o'clock comes around, and he often now you know it's a boy, but he he often uh, will say to me, I'll say to him, "See you at six o'clock," and he'll say something like, "Well, maybe." 6.15 or 6.20 or something like that. Because, and he says that because often Dad is having his devotions and I just hit my phone and wait a little while and then go wake him up. But um, it takes something to wake a young man up who sleeps very soundly. Sometimes I go in and his alarm is going off and I have to awaken him with the alarm going off. Or at least he's just laying there. Sometimes I walk in and the alarm starts when I get in. But Christians need wake-up calls. I need wake-up calls. I have needed this text. This text has been good for me. This, This text was written to the saints at Rome, and Paul includes himself In the text, when he says, let us, let us, let us, throughout the text. Because Paul also needed this wake-up call. And all of us need this wake-up call. We were practicing it this morning when we were singing that last song. When we were contemplating the the glories of heaven and being in the presence of Christ, we were singing a wake-up song to ourselves. And and the text, as we go along, you'll see that Paul focuses on these future eternal realities to wake up the saints. And that's what we'll look at here this morning. So this is a wake-up call to the church at Rome. This is God's wake-up call to the church at Rome. (coughs) Paul's main idea in verse 11 <clears throat> is that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. That is the main idea of the entire passage. That, that is the, the, the key dominant theme of the whole passage, that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. And so Paul is giving a wake-up call to the Roman saints, Coming after he has given a a lot of doctrinal teaching, and he has been giving some application. He has just talked about, um, "Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself," and that, and that we are to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And he said, "For this," and then he gives the. Old Testament commandments, and he says that they are comprehended in this saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and that love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so he had said, You remember, uh, for this. And now he says, And that, in verse 11. And this is something like what we would say um, when we say, In addition. This is something more. This is, this is something added to that. You remember in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, and that, or in addition, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that, in addition... And so Paul is is giving the Roman saints something in addition to that that command to love one another, and it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to the Roman saints that they would awake out of sleep. And so that is Paul's main idea, and he presents powerful supportive reasons for this exhortation. Throughout this passage, verse 11 through 14, that wake-up call is supported with reasons. And so he says, <clears throat> knowing the time, and that knowing the time, it is high time to awake out of sleep. <clears throat> we'll look at that, that expression, time, there and and bring out the... <clears throat> the meaning of of the word time. There's a lot of words for time, and this is is a unique one. And that knowing the time. And then he goes on to say, additionally, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. This is a reason why we need to awake. For now, now at this time, in this moment, in in this instant, is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And so Paul is using that as a supportive reason. And then he goes on to say, thirdly, in verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. And so it's time to wake up. It's time to awaken. And then the apostle gives a brief outline of what awakening out of sleep will look like. He's going to tell us this is what it's like when you're awake. This is what, these are the characteristics of being awake. And so he goes on to say, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I know my son is awake when he casts off his blankets and sits up and begins to get out of bed and to put his day clothes on. I don't stay for that, that full procedure, but I love to see the blanket come off. I know when the blanket comes off, he's getting up. And especially when the blanket comes off and he actually sits up, I know he's ready to go. But Paul is saying, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That's what it's going to look like when we're awake. Then in verse 13, after we have awakened out of sleep, we usually do something active. And so Paul goes on from the the picture of, of waking up and coming out of bed to walking. He said, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And so Paul Paul is giving a brief outline of what this awakening out of sleep will look like. This is a general wake-up call to all believers. This is a wake-up call for all believers. He does not appear to be rebuking them. This is not a passage of rebuke. But this is a passage of exhortation, and it's not that the church at Rome um, was specifically in in a fallen condition, and Paul has seen that they are living in sin, and Paul has heard reports of them, and now he's saying it's time for you guys to stop doing all of these things that I mentioned in verse 13, and it's time for you to get your act together and wake up and do what's right. He's not saying that, is he? He does not appear to be rebuking them. He includes himself in verses 11 through 13. He talks about knowing the time. He includes himself. He says, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Paul's in the text. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us. He includes himself, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This is something Paul needed to do as well as the Romans and he was doing it and they were doing it and it's something you need to do and it's something you are doing and it's something you need to do every day and keep on doing it the rest of your lives in this present time in which we live. He said, let us walk honestly as in the day not in us. So Paul is not saying that you guys are doing orgies and and drunkenness and immorality and sensuality, which is wantonness, and, and, and strife and envying. He's not specifically pointing out a particular sin in their lives. He includes himself. All of his reasons in support of the wake-up call, in verses 11 through 12, apply to us today. As much as to the Roman saints, and even more so, let me be bold enough to say, they apply to us today even more. This passage is even more strengthened for us today in that the day for us is even closer than it was for them. if i may say the specific sins mentioned <clears throat> in verse 13 are examples of the works of darkness but not sins that he is presently accusing them of but let me just say that they are sins that we as saints are capable of as heinous as they sound and i don't i don't even think we we who read our bibles over and over and over again, and, and some of us have been reading the Bible for many, many years all of our lives, and I'm 64, and I've been reading the Bible since I was a teenager, so I've been reading and reading and reading these texts, and sometimes it doesn't have the force and the impact that it has when you read it the first time, but if you think about it, <coughs> what a thing to say to a church. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality and strife and envying. Why would Paul say that to the saints? Because we live in a very sinful world and we have a very corrupt and evil enemy who is against us, the devil and all of his hosts of demons. And we are living in these bodies and this flesh is incorrigibly sinful, and corrupt, and it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. <laughs> Young people, your flesh doesn't get any better as you get older, but don't be discouraged about that because we have a great God and a great Savior and a great Holy Spirit, and we have each other, and and we're in a fight. We're in a warfare. We're in a battle, and that's really what Paul is talking about here when he says put on the armor of light. He's alluding to the fact that we are in a battle, and we're fighting against a wily foe. So although he is not criticizing them for particular sins, let us say that the Roman saints were capable of these sins, and you and I are capable also. And so let us put off all of these things. Let us walk honestly or honorably in the day, not in doing those things, but putting on Christ. So this is a spiritual wake-up call that is similar to many other exhortations in Scripture. This is not a unique exhortation found in one place, but is found throughout the Scriptures. In Matthew 25, we see the parable of the ten virgins and how that the ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to come, and as they waited with their little lamps and their oil, the bridegroom tarried, in his coming, and the virgin slumbered and slept. And there were ten of them, and <coughs> and there was a midnight cry when the bridegroom came, and they all awakened, and five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish, and the wise had brought oil with them, and the foolish had lost all their oil through their burning lamps. They weren't ready, and we need to realize that we can sleep and we cannot be ready when the Lord comes. I'm just going to read a few passages Mark chapter 13 and verse 33. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus himself says in Mark 13 33, Take ye heed, watch and pray. Watching has to do with being awake, it has to do with staying awake and not sleeping. Watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. The time of the Lord's coming, no one knows that time, and so he's saying, watch and pray. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Verse 35, watch ye therefore, Keep your eyes open, stay awake, therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. There it is again. And it's coming from our Lord Himself. And He says, And what I say unto you, I say unto all watch, keep your eyes open, stay awake. In this world of sin, because you know not when the Master cometh. Again, it's an eschatological passage. It's a prophetic passage. And this wakefulness is needed in the light of Christ's coming. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34, Paul says, awake to righteousness and sin not. <clears throat> For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Why? Because there are those who don't know God and you have a responsibility to shine as a light in a sin-darkened world. And you have, you have a responsibility to be an ambassador for Christ. So awake to righteousness and sin not. wonderful passage is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read the whole passage. I'm not just going to read this morning, but I'm going to read some things because it's so good. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, but of the times and the seasons... Brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And many of us know that that travail can come upon a woman at very unusual times. And I have ten biological experiences myself. And those moments, you think they've arrived, but they haven't. And then the moment comes, and you're not quite ready for it to come. But it insists because it comes. And so it is that they will say, peace and safety, and then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And so we have a warning. But in verse 4, but ye brethren are not in darkness. You're not in the darkness. That that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so we have that conflict and that that warfare imagery again But we are living in the day and we are to fight the good fight of faith and we are not to sleep as those who sleep in the daytime in their their drunkenness and in their sinfulness, in their darkness. And so this is a spiritual wake-up call similar to many other exhortations in Scripture. Why do believers need such exhortations, such wake-up calls? Why Why is it that believers who who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and who have the Word of God and who have one another encouraging them, why do we need such wake-up calls? And and why do we need to be continually reminded of these things? Because we're in a fierce battle with a real devil, a tempting world, and our own sinful flesh. And because it is a real conflict and there are casualties in the conflict. Because there are those who fall aside. And you say, Brother Frank, give me just a few examples of that. Well, I'm glad you asked. So I'm going to turn to the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, I want to consider the churches of Asia briefly and, and how the Lord speaks to them and how they have fallen into a sleep and how that this is possible for you as a believer. And this is possible for our church as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we need wake up calls? Because we fall asleep, because we become groggy, because we become sluggish in our spiritual lives, and we need to be jolted into wakefulness. We need dad to come in the room and shake the bed, we need dad to come in the room and say, Hey, it's time to get up, it's daytime. And we need preachers, and we need the Word of God to awaken us. In the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, <coughs> we, we see the church at Ephesus, and the Lord tells us that they had left their first love. In verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. There is a first love for believers. There is a first love When you come to Christ and you feel a a great sense of power over sin in your life. I had that in my life. And I thank God that it surprised me. No one told me this would happen. I didn't even know that I had been converted. But I surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and I had power over sin in my life. I remember I just loved to pray. I would actually think about the joy of getting home and praying. I loved God's word. I met with other students in high school. And and there's a first love. He says something dreadful to the Ephesian saints. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. They were sleeping in the area of love for Christ. They were drowsy in that experience of love for Christ. They were sluggish in their zeal for Christ he said he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me they were slipping they were drifting they had left their first love and he says remember verse 5 therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else i will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent and you remember that Jesus in his in that glorious vision of Christ in chapter 1 was walking in the midst of the candlesticks and the candlesticks were the churches if he's going to remove the candlestick he's going to remove the church itself Christ wants living churches Christ wants active churches in spiritual life he wants churches that are on fire for him He wants a people that are zealous for him. He wants people that love to pray, people that love to sing. You were singing this morning. I praise God for it. He wants people who are on fire for God, who are sharing the gospel with others. Awake to righteousness and sin not because there's a city out here that needs Christ. And so it is that Ephesus had fallen asleep. In some measure. Revelation chapter 3, we have (coughs) the church at Sardis. And he's speaking to the angel, the messenger of the church in Sardis. And he says, Write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. That word watchful is a wake-up word, isn't it? It's, It's keep your eyes open in this present darkness. And strengthen the things which remain. There's something there at Sardis. Strengthen what's there that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch and listen to this, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Those are strong words. You won't know when I come. The church at Laodicea was... A church that needed such exhortations, such wake-up calls. <clears throat> the church at Laodicea in—they thought they were okay. They thought everything was fine. But in chapter three, verse fourteen, and the angel of the church of the to the and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write <clears throat> these things. Sayeth the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. That's just another way of saying neither fully awake nor fully asleep. I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And these are the words of Christ to his own church. Not said in, in a way of, of brutal, uncaring indifference, but said from a heart of love for his church, I will have to do this if you persist in this. And so, believers need such exhortations, such wake-up calls. I think all of us can say that we know someone who was a Christian, and some of them were true Christians, who fell away, and God had to deal with them in a severe way, and they're still limping to this day, some of them. John Gill describes what sluggish and sleepy Christians look like in his commentary on the passage that we're looking at in Romans chapter 13. John Gill said this slumber lies in grace being dormant in the soul. The grace of God because of neglect of the means of grace, because of allowing other things to enter in and not dealing with sin as we ought to deal with sin and not dealing with sins of omission as well as commission and and not invigorating ourselves and not taking heed to the call to awaken. To come back into liveliness like when you first believed. This slumber lies in grace being dormant in the soul. In a backwardness to duty. And a slothfulness in the performance of it. God have mercy on us. In resting in the outward duties of religion. Just coming to church. And sitting in our pew. And doing our little part, in lukewarmness about the cause of Christ, in an unconcernedness about sins of omission and commission, and in a willingness, and this this is dreadful, in a willingness to continue in such a sluggish frame, being satisfied to be sluggish and sleepy and careless Such a frame of spirit, when it prevails and becomes general, is of bad consequence to the churches of Christ. And he is actually describing, he wasn't intentionally doing that, but he is describing the churches that we just looked at in the Revelation. That that frame of spirit was prevailing and it became general and it is of bad consequences to the churches of Christ. And so let me ask the question this morning. Are you sleeping? And I'm not asking it in a, I'm not thinking of a particular person. I'm, I'm not looking out here saying this person and that person are sleeping. I'm not saying that. I'm not thinking that. I wasn't thinking that as I prepared the message. I, wasn't, I didn't have a, a face before my mind. I sat in, in this chair over here Yesterday, and prayed for you. And I wasn't thinking that everyone's sleeping, but I know I needed this message. I told Pastor Jeff if everybody walks out, I'm still going to be here. I've heard him say it. I'm still going to be here preaching because I'm going to preach it to myself. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping in regard to prayer meetings? I'm just saying. I'm just asking. Are you sleeping in regard to assembling together on the Lord's Day? Well, those are outward things. Those are visible things that we can see. But then do you zone out during preaching? I have done that. I think we have all done that. I'm not, I'm not trying to make myself, put myself on a pedestal. I really could preach this message to myself. Why do we zone out during preaching? Why do we start daydreaming about other things? Why does our mind go astray when we're listening to God's Word and the exposition of God's Word? It's because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's because we're in a fight and we have let down our guard and we've stopped fighting. Does your mind drift during the prayers? Are you singing from the heart in spirit fullness, do you do you sometimes forget what you just saying? It's like when you're driving down the road and you're on a big trip and all of a sudden you, you just have this this moment where you suddenly realize, hey, I'm driving down the road. And I I can't remember the past few miles. It's like you zoned out. Have you ever done it? Don't 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 get in the car with me. <laughs> I'm dangerous. I'm 64 years old, and I've never had a, a highway accident. I've had a couple parking lot accidents. Those are okay. <laughs> but I think the Lord's kept me all those years because there are times where I zone out. That shouldn't be happening during the preaching of God's word. That shouldn't be happening during the singing of glorious songs of truth. That shouldn't be happening during the time of prayer when someone is standing and pouring out their heart before God in prayer. We shouldn't be zoning out. But we should be engaged in the exercise of spiritual things. I don't know about you, but I love Christians who stir me up. I love Christians who seem to always be on a higher plane. I love Christians that are awake and aware and zealous And even make me feel a bit convicted at times. I love pastors like that. And I thank God for them. What about your personal and family devotions? What about evangelism? Where where is your zeal for evangelism? And so we're preaching to ourselves this morning, aren't we? We're saying, oh, wow, I don't want you to walk away heavy. But we need to consider, am I in a condition of sleepiness? Am I slothful in my Christian life? Am, have I descended into a state of sluggishness where I am the, the wheels are not oiled and the engine is not running at full performance? And I'm a sleepy saint. We need to ask ourselves that question. If we are sleeping, we're sleeping in a city that desperately needs the light of the gospel of Christ, Pensacola, Florida. If we're sleeping, we're sleeping in a, in a city that needs wakeful saints. We're sleeping on a gold mine of gospel literature and a worldwide ministry that needs our prayers. If we're sleeping, we need to consider that this ministry needs our prayers and this church, and your fellow, fellow believers. We're sleeping at a time when our nation is under judgment because America is under judgment today. And if you don't realize it, then you really are asleep because God has brought judgment upon this nation. And we are Christians who live in a nation that is under judgment. You say, how can that be? Don't you know that when Rome fell and the Roman Empire fell. There were Christians at that time. Don't you know that there are true believers in China? Don't you know that there are godly men and women in Burma or Myanmar? Don't you know that? You do know that. And we also are in a nation that is under judgment to some degree, and we're descending further and further. So we're sleeping at a time when our nation is under judgment, when we should be praying for our nation. We should be praying for our children. We should be gathering together in prayer meetings, and we should be crying out to God for mercy. He may be using that judgment to awaken us. Let me just put it this way. I didn't say that right. God is using that judgment as a wake-up call to Christians in America today. God is using that. It is high time to awake out of sleep, Paul says, because we know the season that we are in. We know the season that we are in. So Paul says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, knowing the time. There are two words for time here in this passage. The first word, is, is found in knowing the time. The second word is, and now it is, high time. The first word is kairos, and it, it speaks of a more general period of time. A longer period of time, we would call it a season. And you can even translate it that way, and that knowing the season, knowing this, this season that we are in, now it is high time, and the second word is hora, which we get the word hour from it. Now is the, is the limited short period of time, like, like it can be translated hour, it can be translated day, it can be translated instant. And so knowing the season, that now it is time, it is high time, to awake out of sleep, it's interesting that the word hora is translated high time because the King James translators wanted to bring out the force of, of the word hora there in, in, that, in that specific case. And I think if Paul was here, he would approve of the translation <coughs> because that was his idea, that it is, it is the moment in time. It is that time where we need to awake out of sleep. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. And so, Paul is using two different words. And he is saying here that we know the time. Let me ask you this morning, do you know the time? Do you know the time that we're in? Paul is speaking of a season. Do you know what season he's talking about? He's he's telling us in this passage what season he's talking about. (coughs) What season are we in, Paul? What, What is this season that we know about? You know, Paul has this way of saying things like, you know something when you don't really know it like you wish you knew it. He says in Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We don't always feel that way, but we know it's true because God is faithful. And Paul knows the whole whole plan of God, and God, and, and God has revealed to Paul his eschatological plan, and Paul is understanding the season that he and the Roman saints were in. And so he says, knowing the season. What season are we in? We are in the season of time prior to our salvation. And that's what he says in verse 11. Now, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now those two nows go together. They're the same, they're the same now. They're the same moment. For now... Is our salvation nearer than when we believed? And Paul is not talking about conversion. He's talking about eschatological salvation or salvation in the prophetic sense. He's talking about how that that Christ is coming to judge the world and to pour out his wrath on this world. And we are going to be saved from that wrath. So this salvation is our future salvation at the end of this season that we're in. At the end of the last days. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul speaks of our future salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Salvation is a hope. It's something that we are hoping for. He says, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. In respect to his pouring out his wrath on the wicked, there is a salvation for the people of God. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. Here the apostle says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ will appear a second time for those who look for him, those who are awake, those whose eyes are open, who are looking for him. He will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He appeared the first time in his humiliation when he was born into this world and he became a man and lived that holy life, that perfect sinless life and went to the cross of Calvary for our sins. And now he's coming a second time. I don't see the Bible saying that he's coming a third time, but the Bible says he came one time and he's coming again. He's coming a second time, and Paul and the apostle is very careful in his usage of words, the second time, without sin, unto salvation. He's coming to deliver his people from this dark and evil world. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. <clears throat> Peter says, "...who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed." In the the last time, there it is clear. There it is in in all of its brilliance that we have a salvation that's ready to be revealed. You say, but I'm already saved. You're saved positionally in Christ, but God's going to deliver you from the wrath to come through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're in that season of time Called the last days, the fullness of the time, the dispensation of the fullness of times. Bringing these right out of the text of Scripture. The ends of the world, (coughs) the end of the world, or the consummation of the ages. I just have to look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. That's a time, a time element. He suffered, <clears throat> no, he didn't suffer since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, we are at the end of time. We are at the end of human history. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then in verse 28, he will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He came to bring salvation to his people, and he died for our sins, and now he's coming again as the ruling and reigning king to deliver us from the wrath to come. And we are in that season of time called the last days. We're in the last days. We're in the fullness of time. We're at the end of the world. And that's the season that Paul is talking about. And and this interpretation is supported by verse 12, where Paul says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The night is far spent. What night is he talking about? He's talking about the night of this world. He's talking about creation up until this point in time, that the night is far spent. And God said that he would make a short work upon the earth. And it is a a very young earth that we're on today. And it's not billions and billions of years old. But we're on an earth that has been here a relatively short period of time. Because a thousand years in the mind of God is as one day. And so... Paul says, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. And when the day is mentioned in scripture without a descriptive of some kind and it's just set before us as the day, that is the day of Christ's coming. It is the day that is spoken of as the eschatological day when God does so many things in the lives and for his people and in the destruction of this world. Well, let me explain what Paul is talking about when he says, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And what he means when he says, knowing the season that it's high time to wake up out of sleep. And he's, he's actually giving us fuel. He's actually giving us motivation for waking up. And if we will contemplate those prophetic realities that are set before us throughout all of the New Testament. The New Testament is, is full of mentions of the coming of Christ and all that is going to happen at the end. And if we would reflect on that more, that would motivate us to wake up. And that's what Paul is saying here. Knowing the time, knowing the season, it's high time to awake out of sleep. It's high time to awake out of sleep. I'll give you just a brief outline. It is high time to awake out of sleep because Christ is coming soon. Our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming soon. We know not when, but we know he's coming soon. And the Bible says that it is a glorious coming. And the Bible says that every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him will see him. Even the lost will see the Son of Man coming in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his purity, in all of his power. The Bible says that he will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Why do we need to wake up? It is high time to awake out of sleep because Christ is coming soon. And we're going to see him. And we're going to stand before Christ in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty. He'll come that second time he promised to do it he promised the first time that he'd come and he promised a second time and he's coming and that should wake us up when i was a kid we we might do some crazy things but when the hour had come for mom and dad to come home we straightened it all up and we're we're ready for mom and dad to come home now i'm not trying to put any thoughts in anybody's head here but <laughs> <clears throat> when when Christ comes and the thought and if we'll meditate on the coming of Christ if we'll meditate on our glorious savior coming again it'll wake us up it'll stir us it is high time to awake out of sleep because we will arise from our graves to be with him that is the next on on God's divine program when Christ comes The dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You're going to be resurrected, and it's high time to wake up. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us awaken. Because there will be a great judgment. We don't like to think about judgment, and we like to think that, oh, the judgment is for lost people. But Paul tells us just in the chapter beyond chapter 13 and verse in chapter 14, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It It is high time to wake up. Because we know the season and the season is this. That we're in the last days. And the judge stands before the door. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, Christ has paid the price for my sins. And, and I'm going to spend eternity with him. And I would agree with you on that. But the Bible also says that in this judgment, some people will suffer loss. Some people Will suffer loss. And some people will be saved, yet so as by fire. As if you're in your house one day and your house catches on fire and everything burns up and you get out of the house, well, thank God you were saved from the fire, but you lost everything. And we know from the parables that there are some who will inherit ten cities and some five cities, and, one, and some one city, and, and God's people all bear some measure of fruit, but there is a difference between those who are sluggish and those who are fully awake. There will be a great judgment, and you will be there. And it will be a public judgment, and the whole world will know about you. And the whole world will know about me. And the Lord will look upon us, and he will judge us according to our works in this world. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I woke up last night and I couldn't sleep and I just went through this list in my mind and it was glorious. And then I really couldn't sleep. There will be a great judgment. It is high time to awake out of sleep because the day of God's wrath is coming. The day of God's wrath is coming. I can't say it As I ought to say it, so let me read it. In Revelation chapter 6, we have a description of that time of great wrath. In verse 15, "...and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains." And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? It is high time to awake out of sleep because the day of God's wrath is coming. It is high time to awake out of sleep because the world will be burned up and everything will be folded together. And there will be a great conflagration and everything in this world will be burned up. (coughs) Even the universe will be burned. And God will either build upon the ashes of the foundation of this universe a new heaven and a new earth or God will completely build a completely new earth and a completely new universe. But we know that everything that is here will be burned up. And so it is high time to awake out of sleep. And I say that if we'll hear this, not from Frank, but if we'll hear this from the Lord, if he'll speak it into our hearts, and if it will sink down deep into our hearts and in our minds, it will help us to wake up. Because Paul is using that truth to strive, to awaken. I knew that I could stand up here and I could say all kinds of radical things to to the people of God. But if we'll just look at the truth of what God is saying. Knowing the season, it is high time to awake. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. So we have heard Paul's exhortation to wake out of sleep. And he's given us powerful, motivating truth to arouse us. But Paul gives us a brief outline of what awakening looks like or what we're commanded to do. And I'm just going to briefly look at that. We're to cast off, in verse 12, the works of darkness and we're to put on the armor of light. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let's cast something off. And let's put something on. That's what we do when we wake up. We cast off our blankets. You didn't bring your blanket this morning, did you? You didn't come in your night clothes, did you? We didn't. I still remember in Malawi, in the village, there was a lady that came to church in a, in a nightgown. And she didn't know it was a nightgown. But we knew it was a nightgown. It was quite amazing. wasn't in the city, though. But we're to, we're to cast off the works of darkness and we're to put on the armor of light. This sounds like repentance and faith to me. Repentance and faith in action. That we who did put off the works of darkness and that we, we who did put on the armor of light, even we who did put on the Lord Jesus Christ, now need to continue to put off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. Verse 13, the believer who has awakened is now walking. He's no longer in bed. Let us walk honestly or honorably as in the day. Not in rioting or orgies and drunkenness, not in chambering or sexual immorality and wantonness or sensuality, not in strife and envying. Not in all of these old ways of our sinful, sinful life when we walked in darkness and when we were blind to the things of God and we were fully asleep in our sins. But then he goes on to say, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we might have expected that Paul who is telling us let us not walk this way that he would begin to say but walk this way by doing these good things like going to church and reading your Bible and praying and all of those things because that would seem to be the antithesis, the opposite of that old way of life. And now we have a new way of life and love your wife and love your husband and all of those things are there. But let me say this, that Paul gave us the most extreme (coughs) antithesis that could have been given when he said, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're putting off our old ways of life and we're putting on the highest height of perfection. He gives us a wonderful command to put on a person. And we're startled. And we, even even at the age of 64, having read my Bible over and over again and having read this passage numerous times, having thought about it, it's still startling to my mind. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not put him on physically as, as you might put a person onto your person, but put him on spiritually. He gives us a wonderful command. And it's such a broad command. The blessed person is called the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not say put on the Lord. He did not say just put on Jesus. He did not just say put on the Christ. But he said put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on in all of his lordship over your life. Put him on in all of his saving, saviorhood of your soul and of of your sinful self. Put him on as the Christ, the anointed one, the prophet. Put him on as your prophet. Put him on as your priest. Put him on as your king. Put on the Lord. Put on Jesus. Put on the Christ. Put him him on in all the glorious fullness of his person. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You already put him on at conversion. Did you know that? Paul says it in Galatians 3.27. He says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Well, that helps us. You've been baptized into Christ, and you were baptized into Christ by believing on Him, and the Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ, and then you followed Him in believer's baptism. And so now we put on Christ by faith. We put on Christ by looking to him, by trusting in him, by crying out to him, Lord, wake me up. Lord, awaken my soul to righteousness. I met a man in prison who, when I was a chaplain in a state prison, I met a man who had come off of death row. And he was an odinist, which is just a very... Uh, historical way of saying a Satanist, (laughs) you could feel the evil and the darkness in his presence. I can't remember his name, but I just remember he was in my office and he was wanting some satanic Bible that came in for him and I was refusing to give it to him. And I was supposed to give it to him, but it was very hard for me to give it to him. Someone else gave it to him. But you could feel the evil and the darkness in his presence and in his eyes and in his face. He had put on the devil and there was darkness in his life and it was eerie. The believer puts on Christ and he's the light and the believer grows more and more like Christ as he continually communes with him and as he continually avails himself of the means of grace And he puts on Christ in such a way that people begin to see these have been with Jesus. This one has been with Christ. And then in verse 14, Paul tells the Romans and us to make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Put out of your life everything that dulls your spiritual life. Put out of your life everything that makes you dull and sluggish. If your phone is making you dull and sluggish in your Christian life, put away your phone. If internet technology is causing you to stumble in darkness and you are walking dishonestly in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness and strife and envying, through through virtual internet sinfulness you need to not make provision for the flesh we are in the now of this season in which we need to be awake because the Lord is coming the day the, the night is far spent and the day is at hand therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us Put on the armor of light. And let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless his people. May the Lord strengthen us. May the Lord help us. Father, we pray that you would give us grace not to hear Frank Maxson, but to hear the text that is before us. Father, thank you for for alerting us to the fact that we can fall asleep and we can drift. And, Lord, we pray that you would awaken us. Father, thank you for for Christians who walk in the light. Father, we should be always walking in the light. We should always be fellowshipping with our Father. We should always be living in wakefulness. May you give us grace. Knowing the times, O Lord, give us grace to be watchful. I pray, Lord, for this congregation of people that you would impress these thoughts upon their minds of wakefulness. And, Lord, that you would revive your church. Revive thy work, O Lord. Thy mighty arm make bare. Speak with the voice that wakes the dead and make thy people hear. Revive thy work, O Lord, while here to thee we bow. Descend, O gracious Lord, descend. O come and bless us now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.